Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here with my guy Mike Renner in the Cincinnati studio. It's a mailbag pod. We have so many questions. We appreciate you guys for like leaving as many reviews as you as you have. It's going to be a battle. Like we have like 20 questions laid over for next week. And remember to leave a question to make sure it gets on the podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review with your question in it. It's being tough to get Instagram DMs, Twitter DMs. Some people hit me up on Snapchat. Those are harder to track. Leave a review in Apple Podcasts, and we'll make sure to get your question answered. If it's not this week, it'll be next week or the week after. Um, We're really excited for this mailbag episode. Let's get it. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new betters better this is a limited time offer that is currently only made available now through the super bowl this offer only applies to first time elite annual subscribers in these uncertain times life is full of questions like when should i start thinking about life insurance but however difficult these questions may be western southern can help you answer them backed by over 130 years of experience together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind western southern financial group life insurance retirement and investments Compensated endorser. Products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. back baby dude we are the support for two for one drafts right now is at an all-time high like your mom doesn't see this kind of support on the streets when she's active like this has been quite the treat for us and i'm, I'm pretty excited about it it really i was going through so i you know last night this morning took hours to sort through all these questions there's a zillion coming in which i love it was it's it, awesome it made my day reading all these reading all these reviews we only going to get to like half of even the reviews yeah that we got but we will in time, we'll get to every single one, but I think at this point, it's safe to say, with the amount of five-star reviews coming in, we're not going to be able to get any Twitter questions, YouTube questions. Yeah, that's true. So if you are sending us that DMs avenue. with questions on Twitter, Instagram, or even in the YouTube comments, it might be tough to get those in. I'm going to try to answer those via text. Like Maybe they don't get on the podcast, but I just answer them in a message back. But I think to guarantee your question gets answered, it's got to be in review. The mass, the volume we're getting is just absurd. And before we start, I want to get right into it. As I got to mention, Super Bowl 25, promo code Super Bowl 25 gets you 25% off any PFF subscription. If you want to continue to support Mike and myself, uh, go subscribe to PFF. That helps us out in a lot of ways. All right, let's start with the first question here from Palbertson. Um, this one's all the way from January 17th. Like, we were trying to pull these things all the way back in here. But great pod, regular listener. Austin, we need to get your dad on the show. I, I agree. We'll, we'll get him on eventually. He's a That he's seems a like card. it's relatively easy to do. It's easy. The we problem get, is, is Does that he have a Zoom account? If he has a Zoom account, we can get him on right now. He doesn't even know how to use the internet. Okay, to be that's, that could be, be an issue. It'll be a grind. We'll try and get him on, but we'll see. Question for me. As a Bengals fan, looking at this draft, we're a little confused. What kind of defensive front is Lou Anarumo trying to run? What kind of players do we need to fix that line, assuming we re-sign Lawson? And why in the world is he coming back for another year? Should we start with resident Bengals fan, Quinn? Quinn, Quinn what, are your ta- what are your takes? Um, I don't think... We know what kind of front Lou Anarumo is going to run because I 
don't think Lou Anarumo knows what kind of front he's going to run. And uh, why he's back for another year, I'm not sure. That's my answer. I don't know if that's too uh, blunt, but that's my answer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a Ford, like a four down front. Like, I think that's what you're looking for. Carl Lawson, I hope they resign him. I think with his sort of injury history and risk and with the impending sort of depletion of free agents, I think you could get him. He's a guy who could very easily take a one-year prove-it deal this offseason, and I would love that. I, I think he is has been their best pass rusher, certainly better than Sam Hubbard, who really has not done much, even though he's plastered all over town here in Cincinnati for some reason. <laughs> well, he's uh, from Cincinnati. He's from Cincinnati, is why. But um, why in the world is he coming back for another year? I, I think it's the same answer to why he was hired in the first place. No one else wanted the job. Man, that is that Sadly. is blunt. You thought Quinn was blunt. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's why they hired him in the first place. Yeah. Remember, it was like two months of who's going to be the DC True. for the Bengals. He was like the seventh option. Man, Sam Hubbard. That's funny. He is from Cincinnati. He went to Moeller. Yeah, he played safety in high school and was a better lacrosse player than he was a football player. I did a piece for Notre Dame first... recruited him as uh, a lacrosse player football, but then they wouldn't offer him for lacrosse, which is why he didn't go there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I did a piece on him. Talked to his coach, and they were like, "This is the best player we've ever seen come out of Moeller and all this stuff." And I mean, he's like that lunch pail type. Solomon yeah. Wilcott's PFF coworker here talks highly of Sam Hubbard as well. Second question from Palbertson. We obviously need some speed at wide receiver, but please not at five. Too soon after Ross. Can we aim for a Darnell Mooney, Jakeem Grant, etc. on day three? I'd even double dip on wide receiver in the late rounds to fill out the room. Who are some speedy day three receivers who the Bengals could conceivably target? I'll give you two guys. One, North Carolina's Diami Brown. I don't think he's day three. He's more like round three. But that's like that's fine. That's a fine investment of draft capital for a talent like Diami Brown at that point. Uh the other guy, Jalen Darden, North Texas, very much this comp in the draft guide is, in fact, Darnell Mooney. That level of explosiveness, but he's 5'9", 174, and he goes to North Texas. You draft that guy in the second round, you look silly if he doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. So he's going to last, I'd probably say, at least until the third, more than likely the fourth round, and he's good. And there's a reason why it took him until his senior year to break out this past year when he, I think, had like 19 touchdowns or something for North Texas was one of the best big play threats in the country. Uh, 1,190 yards this past season. It's because he showed up to North Texas 155 pounds. Oh, my God. He's gained 20 pounds of muscle since getting to North Texas. The dude was tiny. And with that added muscle came some legit added explosiveness. So, yeah, I think Jalen Darden... One of my favorite day three targets. What about the the Western Michigan kid, Dwayne Eskridge? That Dwayne guy's Eskridge. People are talking about him. Someone said might go in the first round. Who said? Todd that? McShay said, McShay he said be that. Wouldn't be surprised. I'd be fucking floored if he did. The dude's going to be twenty four and a half years old. There's no way he goes in the first round. I'm yeah. sorry. There's no but, way he goes. In, but I think I like him as a day three second, guy. Yeah. If he's a day three guy, yes. If he's a second rounder, I don't think so. yeah. I, I would not. Side note, you brought up Diami Brown, and there's that other UNC receiver there, Daz Newsome. I recently wrote up the background for him. Did you know <clears throat> he almost exclusively played running back in high school and really didn't play wide receiver until he got to UNC? I think he was originally recruited as a defensive back. Like, he played defensive back, wide receiver, and running back in high school, but mostly running back, and then was recruited to UNC as a corner. And then I think he made the flip to receiver, like, late. But he's only, like, what, 5'10", 5'11"? Yeah. He's a smaller dude. It's uh, that, Those two guys, Diami Brown and Daz Newsom, are, are interesting prospects. All right. Jumping to J.J. Hude. 
So if the draft plays out kind of chalky, Lawrence, QB, Sewell, defense, do you think the better – I don't even know what that means. Do you think the better option for the Bengals is to draft Chase or trade down to a team looking for a QB and draft in the tier of Waddle, Devontae Smith, Pitts, Pay, Caleb Farley, Slater? Alternate question, who in that tier of non-receivers would be the best fit for the Bengals? This is from J.J. Hude. Two Bengals questions back-to-back. Big, big time Cincy fans here. I would love to see it. Um, trade down. If you're at five and Sewell's gone, I think trade down is your best bet. I, I I like Rashawn Slater. I'm not so sold on him that he's different from Christian Derrissaw if you can add another player. And you're the Cincinnati Bengals right now. You have a lot of holes. You, there's a reason you have been as bad as you've been the last two years. And it's because that roster is just depleted of talent. You could, one guy, one even one penny Sewell isn't fixing mm-hmm. you to a degree that you need. You need a lot of That's help. not true. They hung a banner in the stadium that they told did. me otherwise. They did. Panay, for your thoughts. Yep. I do think well, that— my thought is that it's not fixing the team. That's my thought. I, I don't think a single Jamar Chase, a single Panay Sewell is fixing the team. But at yeah. five, I do feel confident at turning in a card that says either Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase's name. <clears throat> But if you're not as confident, you do trading down is always that option, especially if there's still one of the top three QBs on the board. Or even if Trey Lance is on the board, there will be some suitors that want to maybe come up. The Detroit Lions are in that conversation. The Denver Broncos, the San Francisco 49ers. Like There are teams that are going to want to come up for one of these top three, top four quarterbacks. And if you're getting calls, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals getting calls and not having to force a trade down, I think you take them because, again, you are not one first-round pick away. You are multiple pieces away before this is a legitimate franchise turnaround. Yeah, say it's the New England Patriots calling you about trading up. They want Justin Fields really badly. They're at 15. They're going to give you their second-round pick, too, to get up there. I'd do that in a heartbeat because then I can get, at 15, I can still get a Christian Derrissaw, most likely. And then that guy in the second round, I can get a guard. Mm -hmm. I can fix two offensive line positions as opposed to one. And then... That helps. We, we've talked about how offensive lines are pretty much only as good as your weakest link on any given play. If, you're, if your left guard's getting his butt kicked by Aaron Donald, I don't care if you have Tyron Smith at left tackle and Larry Allen at right guard, you, th- your quarterback's going to be under pressure, unfortunately. So you need five across that are all solid. You don't necessarily need to be elite at one single position. All right, jumping to Soto underscore shuffle. This is an amazing podcast. Should NFL teams move to the 20 to 80 scouting scale used by baseball? It models scientific scales really well, with 50 being an average major leaguer. It then goes to three standard deviations out from the side of average, 60, 70, 80, and 40, 30, 20. Assuming a normal distribution, 99.7% of players are within three standard deviations of the mean, uh, with the rest just outliers. Also, most MLB teams use 45 and 55 as well. That is a very thought-out question. Yes. What is your opinion of using the baseball <laughs> scale on scouting? So I had to go look up the baseball scale. I'll tell the people at home if you don't know. Here's kind of the, he described it there, but like here's the, put words to it. 20 is as bad as it gets. Obviously 20 is awful. 30 is a poor, un, not necessarily unplayable uh, characteristic or trait, but close to it. Four is below average. 45 is fringe average. 50 obviously being average. 55 above average. 60 plus, 70 plus, plus 80, as good as it gets in the major leagues. Um we kind of what our initial PFF grading system when you if you were following PFF when we had plus minus grades on the website that was a normal distribution and that's kind of because people have been shown to be normally distributed in terms of skill levels throughout a variety of different avenues in life and so yes any scale I think that does have a normal distribution now 20 to 80 I think whatever number you put to it doesn't really necessarily matter but if that's how you're modeling your view on draft prospects that's 
in my opinion, is a correct view. I think that is what a lot of teams kind of do. Maybe just put different numbers to it. I know Lance Zierlein uses a 5.0 to 8.0 scale, which is like, how the fuck you come up to 5.0? Like, that's what you pick to get to. I don't know how that ever started, but uh, it, where it kind of is like 6.5 then is your average sort of prospect. Mm-hmm. I think that is how a lot of teams do it, but just not necessarily with those exact numbers. I do think it's important to quantify it, though, because it's more than just saying this is a top 20 player in this class. You have to have an idea of how good this player is compared to other classes and other players that you've scouted in the past, because then it gives you better... You know, it gives you a better understanding of like, okay, this is the best player available left on our board, but he's like not even in close to where we'll be drafting right now from a talent perspective. Maybe we look to trade down or get out of this pick. Yeah, I think there's like a few different things that play there. There's how the guy relates to, um, like I said, prospects of years past at his certain position and the talent level of his position, but then also how valuable that position is and how valuable his skill set is at his given position compared to the rest of the league. And that's kind of like how you then set your board. And then the third layer of that is how valuable that is compared to the draft picks and draft history and what that means in terms of how, how much is a fifth overall pick worth versus how good we think this guy is at and how valuable his position is. So it's kind of a multi-layered problem when you're talking about draft prospects at that point. Next question from D Nail. Beyond the first wave of quarterbacks in this year's draft, do you think there, that a lesser-discussed guy like Purdy or Buchel could end up going earlier than expected based on scheme fit with a particular team? Well, Purdy's back at school. Yeah. Buchel, doubtful. His scheme fit would be Arizona because he ran the air raid at SMU, and Arizona's the only air raid team in the NFL. And I just don't think not a lot of undersized guys get drafted, overdrafted, I'll say, or like creep up draft board. I just don't think that's guys with that skill set it's not i just don't see it i think this is a year where you might see only a couple guys go from like rounds two to fourth quarterback position oh wow trask newman that might be it until the day until like fifth round then you might get like kellen come off the board all right fair enough moving on to Best football podcast. Doesn't say who this is from, unfortunate. But hi, guys. Awesome podcast. Great for unwinding after work. I got three questions. But you can pick, pick whichever one you like best. We're going to answer all three. Yeah. Because we're that. We're I love the people game in the system. I would have done the exact same thing. So I love it. <laughs> yeah. We got to put some rules on that. Like, because <laughs> theoretically, you could, theoretically, you could put 10 questions in there. That would be rough. And I don't know what the character count max is on Apple Podcasts. We'll have to check that out. You guys preach about trading down the drafts, especially if you have multiple needs. To me, this makes sense if you're getting high draft picks in return. However, there tends to be a real drop off in talent in the fifth to seventh rounds. Fifth to seventh rounds. Let's say you get offered two fifths, two sixths, and one seventh for a third. Do you still give yourself more shots, even if your hit percentage is lower in those rounds? I think it depends on where you are as a team. Are you the New Orleans Saints where you have maybe one spot where a guy could ever make an impact because mm-hmm. your roster is so chalked with over like free agents and stuff? Uh, or are you a team like the Carolina Panthers where you got every single position on defense is open for grabs? Like any single guy can make a hit and you get you get a guy like Bravian Roy in the sixth who's a serviceable defense tackle all mm-hmm. of a sudden because you took more shots at uh, the position than you would have if you just drafted one, you know, David Hamilton in third. So uh, I guess, like I said, it just depends on where you are as a franchise. If your team sucks and doesn't have a lot of starters, you probably want more players more and more bat. swings of the bat. If your team's very good and like going to the postseason regularly and has a lot of confirmed starters on both sides of yeah. the ball, it doesn't make you, you're the team that's trading all those back end picks to go up. You yeah. know, it's like, hey, we don't need. 
six six special teamers here. We need one big name that can maybe start in this hole for us. Yeah, and I, as much as we, and if you watch the draft show at all, George will be, you know, caking his pants every time someone, <laughs> to use your favorite phrase, to every, every time someone trades up. Mm-hmm. Just being like, oh, well, how can you trade up? How can you trade up? Windows are real. Like, mm-hmm. when you're a team that's... Obviously, the Saints would have been better off if their quarterback's arm didn't fall off. But as soon as Drew Brees is gone, it was going to suck anyways. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, like it didn't matter. Like the fact that they traded you know, a second rounder for McCoy for a first rounder for Davenport, future ones, it, it wasn't going to matter down the line. Like the next yeah. year, having building blocks in the toe it doesn't really matter. You were going to be awful as soon as Brees left anyway. So, like, I, I'm not going to blame a team for actually trying to maximize their window in that in that way. I will say that trade up for Troutman was nuts. They traded so many picks to go up and grab that tight end out of Dayton. I think that was kind of crazy. But you even called it before the draft. If you're a longtime listener to foreign drafts, you're like, Mickey Loomis is going to trade up in this class. I don't know when. I'll trade know. a future pick. Yeah, he's going to trade a future pick. That's right. And he did. I mean, he, he knows what the window was real. He's yeah. well aware that Drew Brees' arm was going uh, to the wayside. All right, with a loaded wide receiver class, do you envision teams getting their receivers early, leaving quality guys like St. Brown, Thailand Wallace, Sage Surratt to fall much in later rounds? So now last year, I thought the wide receiver class kind of after the top 10, it kind of played out than how I had expected. Like, I don't think anyone really got pushed down so much farther, further than they should have realistically. I think that's similar to this. I I think they don't go higher than necessary. I think top 10 teams, you'll see a lot of teams pass. Like, I think only one or two guys goes top 10 in this receiver class, even though we got three guys saying with top 10 grades. So I think you'll see teams pass early, but then they'll all come off the board, kind of the ones that should be first rounders by about pick twenty five to pick twenty eight. Yeah, that's that's gonna be it's gonna be a loaded first round with receivers. I think yeah. that's a good take. All right, three uh, with the with the Panthers desperately needing defense in last year's draft, they created history by only drafting defense. Do you think any teams this year could slash should draft all offense this year? What players slash position should they draft? Miami very well could, obviously number three. Wherever you want them to go, I'd go Panay Sewell if you're sticking at three or maybe a quarterback if one's there for you. Then some wide receivers, offensive line help, maybe a running back in like third or something because they're still pretty cheeks at running back. But so I would you, say this, like you should, as any team, you shouldn't pigeonhole yourself into drafting just yeah. one type. No, yeah. But I like, mean, like if, you were going, of, if you were going to pick a team that had falls. to. Yeah. yeah. Them, Jets as well could be nice because you, you don't want a quarterback ever walking into just as bad a situation as it gets in the NFL. All right, this one's from Conrad. Awesome, love the pod. This week's story was the best yet by a mile. We all want more stories about your dad. Okay, cool, cool. Ooh, um, should we pr- give them some stories to vote on for next Okay, week? Yeah, yeah, stories to vote on next week. Um, <clears throat> my 21st birthday, my dad I, I is just an, it's an absolute insane story about my dad. I don't even know how to tease it. Like He like spends all night in a strip club. Anyway, but I get kicked out of the hotel in Las Vegas, Treasure Island, for life. I'm out. I am banned for life from Treasure Island for the act and the story that took place on my 21st birthday. Do you have a story to tease? Mine would be uh, the time I got arrested at a Bengals tailgate. That was... That was an, that one's an embarrassing story for you, but we can definitely tease it. Vote in the YouTube comments. Which YouTube comments are the quickest way because they don't take forever to show up like Apple Podcasts. Vote in the YouTube comments. All right. Um, you guys have overtaken Sam and Steve as my favorite PFF podcast. Keep up the great stories. LFG. Hard. Next time you guys take questions, I'd love to know what you think will be the worst first round drafts mistake slash bad picks by teams in the upcoming draft o- outside of running back, which I you know which is fair. This one was tough because there's not a lot of guys in this class 
yet. I, I, we'll see how it ends up shaking out. Like I didn't think I hadn't heard Isaiah Wilson as a first rounder until like two weeks before True. the draft, and then Isaiah Wilson's first rounder. I'm like, okay, yeah, that pick sucks. <laughs> so nothing that I've seen too crazy yet. I think the biggest thing that I've kind of seen a little bit of that I think teams will regret. Passing on this quarterback class. If the Jets yes. pass on this quarterback class, if you're maybe even like the Falcons passing on this quarterback class, you're not going to be drafting number four overall a lot with Matt Ryan in the next upcoming years. Hopefully. Yeah. Like, I think they, like, if they pass the quarterback class, even though they're rumored to be maybe shopping Matt Ryan, whatever, I think those are the, that would be, in my opinion, the teams who would regret it the most. It can get worse, and it probably will. There'll probably be some picks that sneak into the first oh, yeah. round that we didn't see. But, but I do think that right now, to think I've about seen. right now, number two, if the Jets take Devontae Smith and not a quarterback like that, I think would be a bad selection. I don't, I don't like that one a ton, but we'll see. All right, from Nick Z, love the pod. Um, <clears throat> couple Jets related questions. One, what do you guys make of the idea that Zach Wilson is significantly a better scheme fit than Justin Fields at two for the Jets, given the hiring of LaFleur as OC? Should scheme fit actually be a factor to consider when choosing between Fields and Wilson? And number two, who are some possible day two targets for the Jets, given their needs? That's fair. If you're a Jets fan, you're like, okay, I get it. We're going to get one of the QBs or maybe Devontae Smith if I'm following Mel Kuyper. I want to hear about day two. I want to hear about some other needs. Go ahead. Start with one. So number one, I don't think they're that different scheme fit. I think... In that offense, it is kind of a distributor's offense. Get the ball where it needs to go accurately, though. Like, mm-hmm. be accurate in that offense. It's got. It's going to give you. I don't want to say a lot of open throws, but it's going. It's like that's kind of the mo of it. Is not you don't need a ton of creativity in it. The offense itself is creative. Just you have operate. to be a point guard facilitator, yes. just like what operator. Yeah. So, to me, that's fields could do that. Wilson can do that. Wilson offers a little more creativity, but I don't think that, like I said, that offense takes advantage of it. I don't know if the offense in and of itself is built to take advantage of a running quarterback or it hasn't been. They haven't just haven't had one in mm-hmm. the Shanahan offense and since obviously like 2011 when they hired RG3. So I don't think it's that much different. Day two targets for them. Offensive line, obviously, we've talked about great offensive line class anywhere. Draft anyone offensive line. Draft maybe a few. Like mm-hmm. you, you need help there. And then wide receivers. I would go, you have you know, Denzel Mims on one side, super athlete. I think some more, like you can build a track team. And again, with that Shanahan offense, crossers, overs, speedy guys, dynamic guys with the ball in their hands. That's what it, that's what it plays with. Not necessarily the most, you don't have to be the most polished route runner. You can get by. You're going to get just, schemed open. What you do yes. with the ball after that is important. So Terrace Marshall. LSU, bigger wide receiver with some legit speed, good catch radius. Elijah Moore, Ole Miss wide receiver, not as big, legit speed though, and quicks, great after the catch. Kadaris Tony, I've uh, Eric on the forecast yesterday, Eric Eager, doctor, mm-hmm. was talking about him possibly falling according to his sources for quote unquote off field, which I don't like to like bring up if I don't know it, but that was Eric, and I trust Eric's sources. So, wow. If he does fall to if day two, I, I do like it as yeah. a yak target. And obviously, they don't mind some Florida guys with off-field issues there in New York. <laughs> Got to play. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Good Lord. What All we right. Doing Observe Man 24. <laughs> Observe Man 24. Love the pod. Here's my question for next week. With Robert Slaw, another Jets question. With Robert Slaw being named the Jets head coach, it seems like he'll bring over an OC to implement a Kyle Shanahan offense. He did that. Between Sam Darnold, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, we kind of just answered this. Who would be the best fit for their offense? Whew. 
I mean, I still think it is probably Zach Wilson in terms of just talent. Mm-hmm. I think but, Zach Wilson makes the most sense of two. But yeah, but I think I honestly don't think it's Darnold. I, I do think it is either Wilson or Fields, and then not necessarily Lance either. Like as a as being a great fit for that offense. But yeah, those are my guys. From Patrick Fessler, saw there was a twenty five year old top five. Say there was a twenty five year old top five quarterback on your favorite team that may get traded because the owner is too busy playing with a character coach instead of building a winning franchise. If this is an actual situation, would you switch affiliations with this QB or would you stick it out with the cesspool that might be located somewhere in Texas? Just curious. My serious question is about Teron Jackson of Coastal Carolina. He's been playing well at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Uh, since the Texans don't pick until the 60s, I've been looking at small school players who can help on defense. I really like him. What are his biggest weaknesses, and do you think he'd become a starting edge? Thanks, and keep up the awesome content. So he's going to be in the next draft guide. So look, be on the lookout for that. One, he's on the smaller side, 6'2". Uh, obviously, the edges, you'd like him to be like 6'4", 6'5", a little more length. But... He's just not that explosive. Like he's kind of, he's probably like a four eight four nine guy. Like he's just not. That's his biggest weakness for sure. Is going to be when he gets to the NFL. It's just that level of explosiveness. I, I think he's had some really good reps at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, though. I'm excited to go back and watch that tape. We didn't get the tape from yesterday's practice. We I bring know. that up. We're going to do a big Senior Bowl review podcast on Monday because we just don't have access to the tape right now. We need to get the tape in. All right, um, from MMRT six seven six seven. Hey, guys, love the pod and appreciate the work you do. I was just curious how you think lack of combine this draft season will impact players like a Tyson Campbell. Campbell would have been a combine freak at six foot two, likely running a 4-4 and jumping out of the gym. A full combine likely sees him somewhere drafted on day two, despite not having the best tape out there. How does only having a pro day impact the stock of combine freaks like Campbell? How much trust are teams going to have for pro day tape sent to them? I think they're going to trust it. Yeah. And I think I don't think they give a fuck about like combine numbers versus pro day numbers. They put down the fastest number that they get in any like drill. Yeah. Like that's what goes. That's on what the Nagy said. Report. I mean, uh, Jim Nagy, the director of the Super Bowl, said like, you know, when you see at the combine the guys with their you yeah. know freaking what are those stopwatches? Stop they're not. They don't care about the laser times. They're in the freaking stands like yeah. trying to get the fastest time on their own wrist. Yeah, like, you Charlie think they Casserly. care about? Yeah, Charlie yeah. Casserly shooting down all time picture. It is an all time picture. picture. Mike Mayock's. Uh, Said so they had they had Arnett at a four four is why they drafted. I know I, it, it's this is what I'm talking about. Like I don't think the combine's a big deal for people who want a standardized like look at it. Like us who are looking at the class as a whole, but guys who are like trying to get their guys are a little quick on the timer. I was gonna say it's not an analytics necessarily thing that the combine numbers. They're not putting that into you know a, a like formula. Does. Yeah, to a, to an algorithm and telling them who to draft. It's kind of just like hey, this guy runs a four four. Like, like <laughs> oh sweet. Like that's. That's what the 40 times in the, you know, the sort of times are f- utilized for them. Daniel Jeremiah's even said, or he always jokes about, I think every year at the combine, he's like, you know, if you like a player a little bit more, your stopwatch is a little quicker. Yeah, he said that. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't not believe it. Like, I yeah. think that's exactly what's happening. All right. From Drill Clinton, he's a big fan of the pod. As concerned, as a concerned Ravens fan, what would be the ideal draft to get this team over the hump? Second question, if you're asked to be a GM for any team with which it would be, and what's your oh? What team would it be? And what's your offseason plan for that team? Thanks for the thought. Thanks for the pod. Love the stories. So for the Ravens, first part of that question, Cal Pitts. If he Let's falls go. there, now it's not going to. But yeah. If he does, that'd be sick though. Cal Pitts. Um, and then Creed Humphrey in the second round into your offense lineup. Your interior offense line was bad yeah. this past year. Like that, a lot of the Lamar struggles were 
everyone's like, oh, the wide receiver's bad, wide receiver's bad. Wide receivers weren't great. The offensive line was worse than zero off of this offensive line. You could not I still think they can get some help at receiver. A ton of dropback. Yeah, you can. That's why you draft Cal Pitts. But you couldn't run a lot of dropbacks or passing concepts. That's why you're doing like all these RPOs and stuff because of that. So that's where I would go if I were them. Um, If not Cal Pitts, Rashad Bateman. I think Rashad Bateman too. Big catch race, dude. Um, And then for the second part, this one's easy. If I were a GM for any team, it'd be the Jaguars. How awesome would it be? You have a number one overall pick. You have a ton of draft capital. You have a ton of cap space. What I would do, though, not not kick my pants this year. Next year, all in and on, on free agency. Mm-hmm. Let this year simmer, roll over that cap space, and then I am cooking in 2022 because that's year two of Trevor Lawrence. Yep. I'm winning the Super Bowl that year. I'm loading up that defense then. That's what I'm doing to find. You're shooting the moon. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to try and dump everything we've got into this year, this window with Trevor Lawrence on a rookie deal. Because if he pans out as we expect him to, we're probably going to be paying him a half a billion dollar contract here in five years. We better try and find a way to build around him on the rookie deal. And I would uh, I would also even like in this draft, I would get more picks, like fill out the roster entirely, get a lot of information on those young guys, who's actually good, who's actually not. So I know then in free agency the next year, this is the position I'm going to need. Dude, that would be sick. Yeah, I'm excited for you to get that job. I know. I actually, so <laughs> that's kind of funny. After it, it opened up, uh, uh, Tony Khan, obviously the son of Shad Khan, owner of the Jaguars, he went to my high school. I know him. I texted him. I was like, hey, I, I heard you guys need a GM after whatever. Call got fired. He never responded. Damn. Uh, you're this close. This close. <laughs> uh, this one's from Green underscore 444. Great show, and I've been loving the recent stories. The Arizona Cardinals sit at 16 and are commonly mocked a pick at corner in the first round. I know that Farley, Sertan, and Horn are similar prospects physically. So what skills or traits make them unique from one another? One another. Thanks. Sertan, it's technique. All time, like his feel for the game, cornerback position, kind of, kind of like Antoine Winfield at safety last year. You're just like, okay, this guy's the son of an NFL player that like he's, he's also been, long as hell, dude, tall, yeah, long. In his lack of speed, also is a defining characteristic. Farley, I think the physical traits are his defining characteristic. He is built like you would build a cornerback. He is 6'2", 207, long arms, four three speed. That is his it's sort a prototype. of prototype. Yeah, and then Horn. His best ability is his physicality from press coverage, his mentality, the way he plays the game, like a shutdown man corner mm-hmm. that you want to see. Like he goes into every matchup saying, I want the to best beat guy. this dude's ass. Yeah. And I want him on the trip. Like he, yeah. he's going so to. So you brought that. up on the last podcast about JC Horn and his game against Seth Williams. And he plays really well in coverage, like six to do it all the way through. There's another rep on that tape where it's a screen and Seth Williams is the blocker. JC yeah. Horn it's lays awesome. Seth Williams out yeah. and makes the tackle. And I think that's arguably like it, it kind of defines him to a T. Like this guy doesn't take plays off. And I think he could be that like stingy physical man corner at the next level. I'm I'm, I'm excited about him. All right. From Minesweeper99. Claypool question mark? No mention of Chase Claypool on the best rookie performance podcast. I like I love Chase Claypool. Fantastic wide receiver. What did he do the best this year of any? Like, is he better than Justin Jefferson as a rookie? Was he better than like T. Higgins as a rookie? What did he? He was fine. But, but we're, Je- we're so, doing superlatives. Okay, here, let's let's frame the question this superlatives. way: superlatives. Is Chase Claypool a flash in the pan? Because it felt like that was what it was from a production standpoint. Or is he a Something. legitimate receiver to count on in year two with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, he's a legitimate. I agree. To count on. Yeah. What happened then? Why did his target share just drop like off a cliff? I don't know. 
Usage. Interesting. I yeah. think Chase Claypool is damn good, and I think he'll be better in year two. But um, I'm fortunate that he also was going in a receiver class with Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins. I mean, there's a ton of other really yeah. talented receivers this year. You know why he's going to get more targets this year? Matt Canada, offensive That's coordinator. Right. Canada, he's Canadian. You got that Oh, wow. Connection. I'm so sorry I didn't catch that at first. Very analytical take there, but... It's probably going to happen. Dude, you're the first. That's your first on that take. And I think I agree with it. Stop. Shut up. I mean, <laughs> they don't even it's spell called, the same uh, way. It's called, uh, what is it? Nationalism. I don't know if that's the case. All right. This is from Almez5202. I wait for this podcast every week. Keep up the good work. Every year is a learning experience for scouting prospects. What do you think of, what do you think of your biggest lesson slash takeaway from the 2020 draft class? This is a good question because I actually just answered this one. I was on the forecast earlier this week. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. But then they asked me the same one. And I said, the biggest thing is just because a guy hasn't necessarily done a role or something that he needs to do at the college level that you want to see him do at the NFL doesn't mean he cannot do it. Because he hasn't done it doesn't mean he can't. And that you have to do everything in your power to find a way to project how he will be at that and the skills it takes to do it. A couple guys that obviously we're not shy and being lower on than most with Kai Becton because he didn't have pretty much any reps and pass protection against anyone any quality pass rushers and Justin Jefferson because he was slots getting free releases but it's like and also kind of Brandon IU because those are the three guys I was going to mention yeah so like Brandon Ayuk had all the sort of shiftiness and suddenness and stop start ability to run any route you want like he has that but he ran slants goes posts because they had offense. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the in time, if he has any sort of work ethic whatsoever, it would have come. Justin Jefferson, like, the getting off press coverage, um, same thing. Like, he, he had what it took. And then Mekhi Beckton, obviously, like, his physical tools made it so much, just make it so much easier. He's so far ahead of the curve in terms of pass protection that, like, we should have been like, oh, you know, yeah, I, I, the fact that I haven't seen it, I think, is not that big a deal considering that it looks as good as it does against guys who are maybe shit, but it still looks good. Yeah, no, I think that's a good take. I think, um, you know, we saw, I, we I had Brandon Ayuk on the podcast recently. You can go back and check that out, check out that episode. And I talked about, you know, how little routes he ran. And he was like, yeah, like every, he's like, everyone talks to me about this. You know, when I was coming out, I was like, yeah, I didn't run a ton of routes to Arizona State. I'm sorry. Hmm. He's also a Juco transfer. Yeah. He's like, but I tell you, I could do it. And like, he goes to Kyle Shanahan where you have to run a very diverse route tree and eats it up. And with Justin Jefferson too, you did see him run against press in 2018. Hmm. But it wasn't you didn't see a ton of reps and he wasn't all that successful. You saw a lot of double moves of him creating separation. Yeah, he was a different player in twenty like physically Yes. Like added muscle. And then and Chris Collinsworth, the boss Chris, talked to Justin Jefferson before one of the Sunday night games and said, Hey, why'd you play in the slot? He says, Hey, they told me that I'd get the most targets there. Like that like that like again, it was not because he mm-hmm. couldn't get off separation on outside. It was more so that, you know, he was just trying to get fed. Everyone's just trying to get fed when it comes down to it. So all right. Jumping to the next question from Albatross eleven. Love the podcast. The lengths you go in evaluation, the interviews, crazy stories, all of it. The Seahawks always pick players that surprise me. With the consistent theme coming from Schneider and Carroll is the players they drafted were their guys. To me, I think that means someone with grit, determination, and a belief that positive outcomes can be achieved in the face of adversity. That being said, who in this draft class with a, who in this draft class plays with a serious chip on their shoulder? Someone that takes from 
takes being underestimated personally, or maybe someone that is raised by wolves somehow. I appreciate the thoughts, even if this is a little outside of what you normally try to quantify. Last year, the only one I got right was DJ Dallas, and that was from reading the PFF draft guide. LFG. Yeah, I, I don't. I can't help you with the Seahawks draft strategy. They used they used to like draft elite athletes. It seemed like that yeah. was kind of their like Earl Thomas was an elite safety athlete, Bobby Wagner. Uh, Bruce Irvin, J.R. Sweezy, like Kristen Michael, they kind of, that was their thing. It's like really, really high level athletes. And then they drafted like LJ Collier in the first round and we're like, oh, maybe that's not their thing. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. So I can't really tell you their strategy. Guys that play with a chip on their shoulder, Landon Dickerson, the center, yeah. they they would eat that up. I think we just kind of mentioned J.C. Horn. I think our Nick Dar- Bolton. Nick Bolton, our Darius Washington, the TCU safety guys who play like every snap, like they are want to hit somebody Asante Samuel Jr. I think plays with a chip on his shoulder um, not Fatu Melifonwu but I mean there's 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 that but I do think I mean it's a weird it's an interesting question because like I do think they they were the people when that story came out about the Seahawks who asked to do the stare contest like the grit yeah. test like the the if you don't know that story the Seahawks like front officer evaluators when they're doing the interviews at the combine in previous years would have players do a staring contest with one of the interviewees and like try and see how long they lasted and like that again is they called it the grit test that is a little absurd to me I don't, i'm not going to weigh in on it but it seems a little absurd. it sounds like someone sounds like you would have lost the grit test Austin. I, I probably would have i probably would have um all right from jaguar 2468 who is the tiger <laughs> who is question. the tahir whitehead of each position in the nfl that is incredible this is why i love the mailbag and why i prep for hours for these answers because you guys are the best and these questions are actually get me thinking and I love it and so I went through every single position quarterback it was Josh McCown's sort of that was his title for a while I think it might be Nick Foles title now Nick Foles gets another job he for sure is to hear Whitehead of the NFL running back Frank Gore at this point in his career sadly Todd Gurley. right don't you freaking hate on Frank Gore it's Todd Gurley is it Todd Gurley I yeah. think it's Frank Gore at this point in his career sadly wide receiver Dontrell Inman do you know he's been around since 2011? I had to look that up when I was like, oh, man. holy shit, that guy's been had a decade in the league <laughs> when he's maybe like, Dontrell Inman's never been like a good wide receiver ever. Sorry, Dontrell, hopefully you're not listening. Four teams in the last four years for Dontrell Inman. Dontrell Inman, that was tough to say. Tight end, it's Darren Fells. I refuse. Darren Fells is actually kind of good. No. Okay. It's, uh, offensive tackle, it's Marshall Newhouse. Yes. Former Packers great. He's former Bengal great. Bengal great. Former great for like seven. Former Raider so. great. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's the guy been, who got caught that. He picked up a fumble and then got flipped on his head. Do you remember that? It's yeah. a pretty funny image. He's been around the block. Not as much, though, as Tom Compton on the interior offensive line. Tom Compton's been with six teams in six years now. Oh, that, the, <laughs> that's just absurd. That's insanity. Tom Compton. Uh, so defensively, we're going to go Akeem Spence. I don't know how he has played as many snaps for as many teams as Keem Spence. Defense tackle from Illinois, where I grew up. He has never earned a grade higher than 61.9 for a season, but has been like a starting defensive tackle for like five different teams now. On the edge, it's Barkevius Mingo at this point in his career. Another former top 10 pick, just kicking around, just yeah. not affecting quarterbacks every stop he goes. But he looks athletic still. Um, linebacker, it's Tahir Whitehead. Tahir Whitehead is the Tahir Whitehead of linebackers. Cornerback, Jamar Taylor. Former Browns great, former Dolphins great, and now just kicks around. I think it was with Arizona this past year. Is that what it was with? Doing not much of anything. And then safety. I think this one was the toughest one. There's not a lot of guys that really fit the bill for me. Anderson Dejo, though, gets the nod here because 
You know, he went to the Eagles last year, now with the Browns. None of neither team could stand him. The Vikings guys by the end of his career there were just like, get him out. So <laughs> yeah, I think Anderson Dejo fits the bill at safety. Fantastic. That is a fantastic question. From Buddy Lee37. As a Panthers fan, I'm hopeful they choose Trey Lance if available. Is there a chance that he has the best raw tools of, of any QB in this draft class, or have I just watched the highlight tape too much? Also, if he's not available, should the Panthers prioritize defense, linebacker, corner specifically? I mean, to be fair, you could deduce tools from a highlight tape. True. Like, in terms of if you're just looking for traits. arm strength, speed, size, whatever, you can see out of highlight tape. You know, I don't think you're crazy to say that. Daniel Jeremiah said the same thing. Say the best tools in the draft class. I think Lawrence does still because the big difference to me is Lance has a cannon, but he has a little long release. Lawrence has a cannon, but just like a tight, like that ball comes out of his hand quickly, which that to me is also a tool is your house quick yeah. your releases. And so to have that, to not change it, which I think Lance is, you might want to change once he gets to the NFL. That's how long it is. Um, so I'll go Lawrence still in terms of the best raw tools. If the Panthers don't go quarterback defensively, really only – Micah Parsons, Patrick Sertan, or Caleb Farley makes sense to me at pick number eight. I agree. They're staying there. If you draft, I was if you thinking trade potentially down, pass rusher, but like at eight, if those guys yeah. are still on the board, you probably don't do it. Yeah. If you trade down, Christian Barmore possibly. That'd be a that'd be a sweet DT duo. But yeah, with yeah. Derek Brown, oh man, that'd be fun. Two like versatile. And then you got Bravion Roy coming in on third downs, just trying to make it interesting. I like that. All right. Just run like uh, just run bare fronts. It'd be just those de- three down linemen. Oh monsters all right chris from vp review brah what's up you beauties absolutely love the pod got a question about the raiders thoughts on them trading away trent brown possibly the dolphins for one of their first round picks i'll hang up and listen for your response if the dolphins will give you one sure absolutely (laughs) but no one's giving you sorry no i don't think anyone's giving you a first round for trent brown not that he's not good he's fine he's not a top five tackle in the league but he's like a right tackle he's probably like top 10 though but He's had two full seasons in six years of his career. He's he really struggled to stay healthy. Very much struggled to stay healthy. And at his weight, that that looks like, like that's going to be an issue for him. Like yeah. staying healthy when you're 380 pounds is not an inconsequential fact that you're that heavy. Like it's no, it's you're difficult. Put, you're putting more force on every part of your body when you're holding that much weight. So yeah, yeah. What I think would his trade value scared. be if not a first rounder? Like. I would, second rounder, you probably get Trent, Trent Williams got went for a fourth, and he had oh, his true. contract was a little less. Uh, I think probably a third for Trent Brown. You'd probably get a third because he has two more years left on his deal. And at that point, you might as well keep him. I mean, you're not going to get a better starting right tackle third-round pick. Yeah. All right. Mailbag from Sir I. Talking heads have debated whether or not guys like Wentz, Jimmy G, Carr are in a situation where their teams may try to move on from them and their contracts. Is there a reason Kirk Cousins isn't mentioned in that conversation? He's on a mega deal for a team that is trying to reload and isn't making the Super Bowl like they may have uh, may have been after 2017. Yeah, to me, there's two reasons for this, actually. One is that he's been good the last two years. He's had passing grades over 80 in both. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He Never is will be. far better than probably 20 or so quarterbacks in the NFL, at least, uh, that are starters. And that's... You could win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. You just they haven't given him one an offensive line, and then this past year defense. It's so, also a lot harder to win a Super Bowl. We say this a thousand times. It is a lot harder to win a Super Bowl when you have a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, where he's not a oh, top is. three, top yeah. five quarterback every year. But like if you're but going you to, yeah, but you can, but you can. And then the other thing, why no one's saying, oh, you know, maybe they should be in the market to upgrade of whatever if they can get 
is because they, they don't get a cap relief if they trade Kirk Cousins. Yeah. He, the, if they trade him post June 1, they take the, his $31 million cap hit is the exact same whether he's on the team or not next year. Fair. So for Derek Carr, they could save $20 million by getting rid of him. Jimmy G, $23 million. That's why people are saying those two could be expendable. All right, next one. This is from ATIK and a bunch of numbers. <laughs> 5v5. Who would you guys stack up? How would you guys stack up the group? T-Law, Wilson, Fields, Lance, Jones against Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Lamar. Which class coming out did you like better? Which class had higher ceiling, lower floor, etc.? Looking forward to the upcoming year of you guys and your awesome content. This class easily, 2021, fairly easily. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the best prospect of the bunch. We really like Baker. You know, big, big fans of Baker. But like, I'm not even sure he's a better prospect than Wilson. Oh man! If you were to stack them up against each other, Zach Wilson's grade this past year is higher than any one's else's uh, from that 2018 class. If you just go through the grading of them too, Baker had a 94.6 passing grade. Darnold 86.7, Allen 84.6, Rosen 83.4, Jackson 75.6. So, uh, yeah, Jackson never really was a good pass. Those are actually their highest single season grades. Oh wow! So. Zach Wilson, 95.2. Mac Jones, 94.3. Trask, 92.6. Fields, 92.4. Lawrence, 90.8. And Lance, 88.7. So, like, night and day in terms of just college performance. Now, they didn't have fans this past year. That helps. Whatever. Offense is exploding around the league. But I do just think this class is more talented. Like, T-Law's a better Baker number one. Fields? Wilson's a better number two. Fields is a probably – Fields is probably, probably better than – like I said, that tier is, like, Baker would be in a tier with Wilson and Fields in terms of prospects that you would draft. You might even take some of those guys over Baker. Interesting. Very interesting. That's a huge question because I feel like people are always trying to compare you know, draft classes, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, this draft class, this quarterback class is damn good. And again, it comes back to that question we had earlier where it's, you know, what, what's a mistake you're going to see in the first round? It's passing on this QB class. If yeah. you're drafting inside the top five, you need to be at least entertaining the conversation. If you are the Dolphins or the Jets and you don't want a quarterback, you best get out of those picks like taking Panay Sewell or Devontae Smith at two or three respectively like it's not getting the most value out of your pick it's not and if you have suitors to come up you should take it because I do think that the quarterbacks are are that yeah. good all right from Ripjaw 200 I have that actually tattooed on my neck can you tell me why so many people want to keep the, this bum Sam Darnold I've watched every game of his Jets career and I just don't see it P.S. love the show <laughs> I feel like if you did have Ripjaw tattooed it could only be on your neck or maybe like yeah. all the way across so that's back. what the tattoo artist said so <laughs> hey man I, I, I know you want this on your arm but it has to be on your neck I was like alright so be it alright what was the question I got all I was thinking about was Ripjaw was Sam Darnold <laughs> Sam, why, why do these bums think Sam, Sam Darnold's Darnold. good Priors. something like that Pri yeah. prior prior evaluation evaluation of him coming out of college added to the fact that he's never been surrounded by good talent and, and so, I'd, I'd add one more thing to that he's had some highlight throws like he's, put, yeah. he's put some some that's always been his it. mo but also like you go back to his last year at usc and like his last year at usc had some real flaws he's had some some bad games on tape that everyone kind of is like eh but watch his redshirt freshman year look at how good that was compared for a redshirt freshman year and so like it's been a while since he played a complete football season, you know, yeah. of like good tape. And yeah, like it's rare for retro freshmen to do, but at some point you got to improve. Mm -hmm. You know, like not everyone does. Some people's developmental careers are just different. And so, unfortunately, 
think that's why as people I am 100% of the opinion that the Jets should take a quarterback at two and not trade Sam Darnold. Yeah, I have no problem not like, trading Sam Darnold. Uh, you've traded Sam Darnold, you're trading him at like his lowest like value, like where like you yeah. maybe get a third round pick from him, maybe. Mm-hmm. You keep him and you play the best quarterback. You play the best quarterback on your team. And that is going to make your team better. And if it's Sam Darnold and he beats out Zach Wilson in camp, guess what? You have two really good quarterbacks on your roster, the most important position in football. And then you're in a position to either trade Zach Wilson, who will have a much higher value than you know a Sam Darnold mm-hmm. would. And if Sam Darnold is the best quarterback on your team, you're going to win football games. And that's all you want. It's not like, oh, man, I don't want to give up on a quarterback. Oh, I don't, I don't want to allocate a number two pick to a guy who's not going to play. It's like all that matters is winning football games. Yeah. And if that helps you win the most football games, I think you do it. And I think it could because you're going to have two, if you like Sam Darnold, talented quarterbacks on your roster competing to start for your team and if the better of those two quarterbacks play hopefully you're winning some damn football games i think that's the biggest point there is in my opinion there's no issue to having two quarterbacks like that that were top three picks on your roster if you are obviously playing the guy who is the better one yes. in practice if you're playing the guy who has performed better you're fine mm-hmm. like you're golden yes. you're not going to lose the team and Robert Salah is one hell of a leader. I have no issue that he could handle that situation. Yes. As long as that's the case. If you're forcing, say you draft Zach Wilson and by midseason, you're forcing him into the starting lineup because you want to get him reps, that's when you can lose the team. And I brought this up, I think, on the podcast. I've said it on multiple radio hits because the Jets conversation comes up a ton. But John Dorsey drafted Baker Mayfield number one overall. And he told Hugh Jackson to play the best quarterback. Yeah. So Rob Taylor starts. And then he didn't. And then he didn't. And <laughs> Hugh Jackson was out of there pretty quickly. Like, that is what the GM should do. Like, the GM should say, hey, hey yeah. Robert Salah, I'm going to give you this quarterback. You play the best one, and we better win some damn football games. Because yeah. I think both these guys are good. I think Sam Darnold's still good. Play the best guy. And you go from there. Because you know what you don't want to have happen? You bank on Sam Darnold improving. You draft Devontae Smith. And he still plays like ass. Because then you're in a position where, damn, we're swinging the bat on the quarterback again. And Sam Darnold has zero trade value. You know who was in that position this year? The Washington football team. Dwayne Haskins had trade value. They had an opportunity to take him. Obviously, they take Chase Young. He looks like a freaking first ballot Hall of Famer out of the gate. But you're now in this position where you had to cut Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. When maybe you could have swung the bat on a Tua Tunga Vailoa yeah. or Justin you're Herbert. You're still a below 500 team without a quarterback. Yes. At the end of the day. Yeah, you made the playoffs, but you're a below 500 team without a quarterback. Sadly. Yeah. All right. Uh, John D25. The podcast is awesome. The stories are dope. Where I got to get back on the stories, man. I had two people I had two people reach out via DMs like, hey, where are the stories? Where are the stories? I'll, I'll tell the Vegas one next time. The Vegas one's good. Um, where can I go to watch film on prospects? That's one. And thoughts on OSU tight end Jeremy Ruckert. Love Ruckert. Thought he was probably the best inline blocker in this class. Not in the class anymore. He Went back to school. OSU, sadly. Uh, and where can you go to watch film on prospects? That one's tough. I don't know. YouTube. YouTube. YouTube's the best one. If you search for specific games on YouTube, you can it's, usually find I them. I can find them. I, and they so what I'm... We get the tape. We get access to the All-22 for all 130 teams in the FBS because and even FCS. Work with all the FCS. Yeah, because we work with all the teams. But if I'm looking to like make cut-ups and stuff and looking at broadcast film, I have not found... A single game from last season that you can't find full on YouTube. Does that make the scouting process for you harder because you can't like see cutups and you can't see the all 22 for like defensive backs and receivers? Absolutely. Yes. But if you're looking to watch film, and this is my recommendation, because I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and follow the draft like to evaluate talent themselves. They don't just want to like sit there and be told who players are good. They want to watch the players and go into YouTube Trying to evaluate safety talent on broadcast films is not going to pan out. Just, just, just kind of raise a white flag and hope you find small twenty-two. But what you can do is you can evaluate quarterbacks pretty nicely. You can val- you can sometimes evaluate linemen depending on what you see. Pass rushers, I think, is a good one. But um, that's where I would start. All right, from CF four three twenty-one. This is a damn novel. This guy it gives, wrote a, it gives a spiel about 
why Lance is the GOAT. Basically, sum it up, he has the tools. Herbert had the tools. Uh, so did Patrick Mahomes. Had a good, not great grade, something like the high 80s. Um, he says he has the strongest arm in the class. Only 20 years old. Only 20 years old at draft time. And still has some baby fat on him, so he could get even stronger. So why is he not the number two prospect is then the question. Given that now Kyler was number one prospect and played even fewer games than Lance. Uh, one accuracy is still a trait, and his accuracy is but comparatively, two top prospects. 47.4% of his passes over his career deemed accurate. Kyler was not even an accurate, like that accuracy was not even one of his best traits, Kyler Murray. Like he was, as far as at, you know, top quarterback prospects go, was not in that upper echelon of accuracy. And his he was accurate on 63.4% of his attempts. That's a massive difference. 16% difference, percentage points, excuse me, difference. That's why. Like, because as much as Josh Allen made this absurd leap, that is the outlier, Josh Allen. The guys, the Hackenbergs of the world, the guys who don't figure out the accuracy, don't get more accurate, are far, far more common. So, still love Lance. Mahomes was far more accurate than Lance, too. So, that, that's, that's the biggest one right there. I think that it stops and starts with Trey Lance's accuracy on why he's not the number two quarterback yes. in this class. Correct. Well, Justin Fields, I think, is the most accurate over the past two seasons. Zach Wilson is up there. Mac Jones is up there. Lawrence is up there. Like these other guys have been proven, not in addition to having athletic ability. You know, obviously, um, Zach Wilson has insane arm talent. They're accurate with the football. Trey Lance hasn't been there just yet. Yeah, I was going to say, Zach Wilson, like maybe underselling Zach Wilson's arm talent a little bit. It, like Lance, better pure arm strength. Zach Wilson can do some things just like flicking that arm with his real, like, off-platform that's pretty crazy. All right, from Honest and, Rob. And he's also, Zach Wilson could, could gain 10, 15 pounds of muscle himself, too. Yeah. Honest Rob, too. The best NFL draft podcast out there. Love the show, my guys. My favorite running back in last year's draft was A.J. Dillon. So I was surprised when I heard Mike say oh, something no. along the lines of he had zero traits that would translate to the NFL. I don't think I said that. <laughs> How has your opinion of not Dillon changed after his first NFL season? So, the... To give you why it was not high, it wasn't zero traits that translate to the NFL. It was a value proposition for A.J. Dillon. He was not going to add value in the ways that we think a running back can add value in the passing game by being a difference maker there. Uh, basically, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but like, and also like going above expectations. And my fear was behind poor or poorer, worse, worse that's offensive good. lines. Um, because I think he struggled with tight boxes as much as like almost counterintuitive. He's at his best when he has a head of steam and has an open hole. That's when he's at his best. When things are kind of tight and bottled up, I thought that's when he was at his worst and didn't actually maximize a lot of runs then. So I don't think he was a guy who was going to overcome bad offensive lines and was not going to add to your passing game. Here's how I tier running backs in terms of what they can do in the passing game and the value sort of tiers that they're in. Tier one. Highest tier, best tier, the Demetric Felton now tier of what he's done at the Senior Bowl this week. Wide receivers, or excuse me, running backs that can actually go out and run a wide receiver route. They can be in the backfield and then you kick them out wide and you can feel good about them running a slant and getting open. That's tier one for running backs. Tier two is the guys that can run routes from the backfield, whether it's vertical, angle routes, and you feel good about them adjusting to balls down the field, being able to haul in those passes. To me, that's like an Aaron Jones. It might even be underselling Aaron Jones a little bit, but that's that tier two. That's when you have real value at the position as a receiver tier three to me is a guy who you could trust that on screens swing passes they will catch the ball Leonard Fournette I don't even <laughs> sure Leonard Fournette's in that tier to be honest but that's I'm like he has like the most drops of any yeah. running back in the NFL it's like 
that's like Derrick Henry. That's like Mark Ingram. When they like they'll put up receiving yards, but it's all from passes like that. They're not doing much more. Mm-hmm. And then tier four is the no go tier. The like don't throw it to those guys. Chances are they're gonna drop it. You just don't want to they don't want them to be involved in the passing game. That's Devin Singletary of the Buffalo Bills. That's Jordan Howard. That was his MO when he was with Chicago. And that's what I worried about AJ Dillon being in that tier because he had a number of drops on his tape and was not a guy who was beating linebackers at all on any sort of routes that he ran, does not have that sort of lateral agility. So you worry about him being in that tier. Now, obviously, teams are going to be able to get to work him out more and see his hands and mm-hmm. what he could do in the passing game more. Packers obviously felt comfortable enough drafting him in the second round. So that is why I was so low on A.J. Dillon in terms of the value proposition of what he brings to the table. If he was not going to ever catch balls out of the backfield, you're just not adding. Yeah value that was very well explained there i appreciate that answer all right uh, i think we only have a couple questions left here uh from bryce bernard just a couple of guys being dudes <laughs> what's up fellas i've been listening since josh jackson was your number one ranked cornerback wow <gasps> awesome as a fellow packers fan i wasn't just mine ups- though that was before my time is that it was it was i'm just as upset as mike when it comes to his play us listeners can tell you guys putting a lot of work into your analysis of prospects and we appreciate the opportunity to ask questions to the industry's finest number one how do you go about evaluating ranking players that have elite production but lack a ideal physical tools for the NFL? Does this dichotomy matter more for certain positions compared to others? Yes, very much so, yes. And I think that's what we're trying to – that's like what we're trying to do here at PFF. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the game. You know? So the positions I'd say it matters the least, center. You don't need to be that athletic for center. Now, you can't be bottom of the barrel, but you can be a well below average athlete. Travis Frederick notoriously the worst 40 at the combine the year he came out didn't matter Mm -hmm. stud like it's you're in a phone booth the athleticism uh, not nearly as impactful there even like offensive tackle you can get by with limited athleticism you can do it there positions where it matters a lot of defense defense side of the ball athleticism just matters Mm -hmm. and and go back to the chris ballard quote you're you're playing catch-up on defense yeah you're never you're reacting always yeah you're always behind dictating the play you are constantly reacting you're constantly a step behind you don't know the you don't know the snap count you don't know the play you're you don't know the route you are trying to catch up i think that's a ballot that ballard quote's fantastic and so when you're playing catch-up a lot of times the only thing that can get you caught up are horses you need horses, dog. Athleticism. You, need, you, you so. need some guys on the back end that can move. So, yeah, pretty much anywhere. A defense tackle, not as much. But if you're going to affect the pass game, a defense tackle, usually you got to be above average athlete in some way, shape, or form. So, yeah, physical tools. It, it, and it goes to kind of at the end of the day, it depends on the level. If you're, we, we said don't draft bad. If, if you're in the bad tier, if you're like a 20th percentile or below athlete, don't even, don't even waste your time on that guy. That's just not... They're going to look a lot better in college when they're playing lesser athletes than they will in the NFL. It's just fact of life. But if you're in the 50% tier, you know, you're like an average athlete, but your production's off the charts, a lot of those guys still produce at the NFL level. And so. that athleticism, when you talk about percentiles, is normally distributed. Like, you know, like you're seeing yeah. like 90 yes, percentile yes. athletes, there are fewer of them. That's why they go in the first round. Yeah. When you get to that middle tier of like 40 to 60, why those guys go day two, day three. It's because there's a ton of them, and you can you can stay in that tier and draft those guys on day two and day three, regardless of how you rank them based on you know how they actually play football and their production. Staying in that tier on day two, day three is smart. While on day one, like you want to be hitting on those guys that are above 90th percentile because you're not going to find them on day two and day three. Those rare athletes don't exist down in the deeper depths. Question two: 
Austin, I've always admired your ability to communicate. I just have started a minor in communications. Could you offer me any tips on becoming a better public speaker? I can't tell if this is sarcasm because I speak really fast. I don't see myself as a huge, great communicator, but a uh, huge, great. But um, yeah, you're really hammering at home. Uh, t- t- tips, man. I mean, I think um, something that helped me a lot. I did. Uh, I love that you're fumbling over the answer of why, how to something be Something that helped me a lot. I was the radio. I was the sports director of the radio station at San Diego State for three years. And I did talk radio for three years before I went to PFF. And I think that helped a ton. Also, like, I'm a kind of an outgoing person. I talk a lot. Talking a lot helps. You need reps, baby. Pre- it, it, that's what I was going to say. Obviously, it was offered towards you. But I will go back and listen. Sometimes I recorded my very first radio hit I ever did. It was a tr- fucking train wreck. <laughs> Goddamn awful. If Ooh, I have another tip. Go ahead. Talk. I used to just practice. So to practice for, like, getting better talking on Radio Hits podcast. I would just do it out loud in a mirror or in the car when I was driving. If you just start talking about something, a topic, mm-hmm. the ability to just continually, like your brain, you have to like train your brain to be able to come up with new things. If that's not, if you're not good at it in the first place, you can't just like yeah. all of a sudden become good at it overnight. You got to practice it. I think reps is number one. Number two is confidence. If yeah, you aren't right. confident in what you're saying, it's not going to sound like you're confident in what oh, you're yeah. saying. It does not, it does not matter what you're saying, you have to be confident. It's, you look, you know, people bring up talking heads. Stephen A. Smith, regardless of what he's saying, is the most confident guy in the room. Like he, he could be saying, you know, remember when he had that blunder about like saying, you know, Daniel Thompson was still playing or something stupid. Oh, like Hunter that. Henry's. Hunter Henry, yeah, is having a good season. You couldn't, if you didn't know that fact, you're like, oh my God, I 100% agree. Yeah. Like he is the most confident person here. Like I tell that to some of the other analysts here at PFF, some of the younger guys. It's like when you're going on a radio hit and you sound shaky, like you're not confident. Like, what the hell are you doing? You know more about football than anybody. You know yeah. the data, you know, like the back of your hand. So being confident and getting reps is the number one thing. Is what like, I got, like confidence will come in time the more you do it. But also with but, preparation. But when you're prep, yeah, for when you're starting out, preparing as much as possible, over preparing so that you know it like the back of your hand. That will give you confidence in taking reps on subject material that you're already confident in or well prepared for is great. So yep. like. Like you're explain something as simple as like explaining your life story. You know, it's like you know that better than anybody, so you better be confident. Yeah, so and I think that's where you can kind of come and make some plays. Where would you rank smelling salts on that list? Smelling salts is three actually, right at three. So it's reps, confidence, and then smelling Smell salts. salt. It, it opens the brain. Mm-hmm. That that'll, that's how you change the brain to teach it new things. Yeah, it's the smelling salts. Adam Gase doesn't do it for fun. Jonathan Abram keeps a pack of smelling salts in his helmet for for a good time. And this isn't even coffee. It's just like there's smelling salts at the bottom. It's ground. It's ground <laughs> through smelling salts. All right. Last question. Then we'll get out of here um, from Black Adomics. First, want to say you guys are really great. Currently deployed in Kuwait. And you guys really get me through insanity. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's Thanks awesome. For your Thanks for the troops. Thanks for the services. All right. Question. Where should the Giants go in the draft with first and second round picks? They need wide receiver and edge. Can you break down that based on your guys' knowledge? So I think the wide receiver that will be available for them that we would say draft around there be Jalen Waddell. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is just begging for a Henry Ruggs, Derek Carr situation, pairing Jalen Wild with Daniel Jones. True. You can't, can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can't teach Daniel Jones to throw more down the football field. He's kinda, he is what he is. He's going to hit that, that five-yard hitch 20 times a game. That's his bread and butter. So pairing Jalen Wild with him, I think, would just be kind of a used, utilized incorrectly. I think Kyle Pitts would be a better fit for them in terms of what they want to do. That would be awesome. decide to move on from Evan Ingram, which... Honestly, Evan Ingram's not that great at tight end position. But so, even if they kept him, run some more 12, yeah. I'm down for it. Yeah, I mean, they they would love to run some 12. So, yes, I think Kyle Pitts would be the guy I'd go there. If I am going wide receiver, or I'd be willing to go edge um, in the first round. I, I think you could trade back for this edge class. I said 
that's where I go. But Quiddy Pay offers a little something that's different. We talked to him, say he's gotten slimmer in the 260s. The Giants like their edges to be in that kind of mold in that defense. Guys who can run stunts, guys who can also drop out in coverage. Obviously, I think Quiddy hasn't done that, but will be able to if he's he down. He talked about that on the episode. Go back and listen to the yeah. podcast. He said, like, hey, I, I want to be able to drop in coverage. I want to be able to stunt inside. I want to do all these things. And then so for our, if if they don't do that, if they go wide receiver, if they go pits in the first round, then edge in the second round, if Aziz Ojolari falls to them, he, him or Joseph Osai, the text guy, those are that mold of edge defender that can do that. Aziz Joseph Ojulari. Osai literally played off ball in 2019. Aziz Ojolari. It's going to be on the podcast on Monday. So. What a tease. What a tease, the last question. What a tease. All right, last question. That was the mailbag. There are a ton of questions that we pushed next week. Shaplito, um, JMD525, Irishman900, if, if Ben Shimmer, Big Ben47. Like All these guys, we're getting you next this, week. Yeah, I would say, like, if you left a review, I've gone through meticulously, copied them all into this document. We are getting to them. I talked about this before we recorded, but there could be a situation one of these weeks where we record an extra mailbag episode, maybe on that Friday, and just kind of run just, just run through them. Make sure we're caught up. You know, get ahead maybe of the game. Use, maybe just use the Wednesday the double mailbag. Ooh, a little double M. Yeah. Okay, I see you, dog. All right, I like it. All right, that's going to do it. Next uh, next episode on Monday, I will drop the Vegas story. Maybe you can drop the arrest story, a little combo deal. People are asking for the stories. we got to bring them, okay? we got to do what our fans want. That's going to do it, though, for today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, leave your questions on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to get them on the mailbag episode. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for one Jones.